We've touched on this story before. I did a series about a year, I think, ago on uh, grace and betrayal, and we're going to be re-looking at one of those uh, one of those stories, and it's the story of Peter. Now we're we're in the final night of of Jesus's life. He has instituted the Lord's Supper. He has broken bread. He's washed the disciples' feet. And he's told Judas, you're going to betray me. And as soon as they were done, as as soon as they took of communion, Judas left. And it's kind of unclear if he left before or after they actually did the communion part. The one thing we know for sure is that Jesus did wash Judas's feet. But immediately after, in verse 31, is where we pick up verse 31. It says, when he had gone out, that's Judas, when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, and now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, I want to pause here, because I want you to see something very important that, that Jesus has just done. Jesus has just dropped a major bomb on these disciples that they were not expecting. Remember that the disciples gave up whatever former career and whatever former way of life they had before they met Jesus. They've given up everything to follow him. A hope of marrying someone, a hope of starting a family and continuing their career. They kept them as as trade skills, but they didn't actually uh, keep doing them outside of sustaining their own ministry. So they've given up their entire livelihood to follow Jesus for the last three years. And then Jesus, unexpectedly to them, says, all right, where I'm going next, you can't come. In other words, what what they're hearing is, uh, where you're going, Jesus, we can't come, we're fired. (laughs) You're letting us go. You're giving us the pink slips. You're, 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 You're pulling layoffs. And then he says, after he, after he drops this big bomb on them that says, you're no longer going to be following me, he says, all right, now make sure you love each other. Now look at Peter's response. Knowing what I've just told you, look at, look at Simon Peter's response in verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? It's like he didn't even hear the last part at all. And the last part is the most important part of what Jesus said. He says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. So Jesus tries to give them some semblance of hope there to say, don't worry, your calling isn't gone. But for now, I need you to not follow me. You can't follow me where I am going, literally, because he's going to die. (laughs) There's not, you can't really follow someone there. So verse 37, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. 
And we know that, that, that as this story progresses, Jesus is arrested. And as Peter is walking through the town, someone sees him and says, Hey, hey, aren't you, don't you know that man? Weren't you a part of his group? And Peter says, No, I don't know the man. Someone else comes up to him and says, Hey, hey, you, I know you. You're, you're with that Jesus guy. And he says, No, you've got the wrong person. I, I don't know that man. And then someone else, a third person, says, Hey, I know for sure you know that Jesus fellow. You've been with him. I know it. I've seen you. And he says, no, I swear on my life that I don't know the man. And he gets angry. And as soon as he finishes his words, almost like movie timing, cinematic timing, he hears that rooster crow and he looks out and Jesus happens to be walking by and they make eye contact. And Jesus gives him this look, but it's not a look of, it's a knowing look. It's not a look of condemnation. It's just a knowing look. Look, I told you this would happen, and it's okay. But Peter, much like us, when you do something like that, and you know you've just failed, you tend to beat yourself up. And you take everything that you hear, you take everything that you see as a, as a reminder or as, a, as someone laying on the guilt that you're experiencing. And so Peter wallows in his sadness, and Jesus is crucified. And then Peter thinks to himself, well, great, now Jesus is dead. There's nothing I can do now to undo this mess. I can't apologize to him. I can't ask for forgiveness. He's dead. So what do I do? And he's wallowing in this guilt. See, Judas wallowed in the same guilt, but he didn't last long enough. He didn't hold out and wait long enough for Jesus to be able to approach him and say, hey, I forgive you. It's okay. And Judas went out and committed suicide from the grief that he experienced. But Peter waded through it. And Jesus, later, he, he's resurrected on the third day and he begins appearing to the disciples, Peter included. And Jesus is, is talking with the disciples and I can imagine Peter sitting there wondering, when, when is it going to come? When is Jesus going to kick me out? When, when is, when is that, that going to drop where he tells me, I told you this would happen and you're no longer allowed to be a part of this group? And he's thinking to himself, how, when, when is it coming? When is it coming? Is it now? And look, if you would turn to John 21, John 21, just a few chapters, there's a few chapters later. Jesus, after appearing to all the remaining disciples calls Peter to a private conversation in verse 15. It says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So he said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything, and you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now I'm going to pause there. I want you to see something. You may have known this before. If you didn't, cool fact of scripture you're going to find out today, which is this. The English language tends to be very limiting. 
We use the exact same word to describe loving a family member, loving a spouse, loving a friend, loving an object, right? Or loving a TV show, or loving a TV channel, or loving a car, right? We use the exact same word to say, I love this thing. But in Greek, I believe there's five. I can only remember four at this exact moment. But there are are four main words that are used to describe love, The first one being eros, which is a bodily love. It's it's the intimate love that is used in in relations, right? In intercourse, that's kind of the erotic love. It's where we get that word from. Then there's phileo. Phileo is the I love you as a brother, I love you as a friend, right? Phileo is I love you just as a friend and, and we get along great. Then there is agape. Agape is a selfless or sacrificial love. This is the kind of love you have for a spouse. This is the kind of love you have for a family member. Someone that you would sacrifice for and give yourself to. It is to hold someone or something as a prize. Something with utmost importance. So there's eros, phileo, and agape. And the last one is storge. And storge is the love of a community or the love of a group of people. When Jesus asks Peter... Simon, son of John, do you love me? He's using the word agape. Do you love me enough to sacrifice? And Peter responds, yes, Lord, I phileo you. Yes, Lord, I love you as a friend. And so Jesus keeps giving him the chance to answer this question correctly. And finally, at the third time, says, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter was grieved because Peter had just denied him three times and already proven that he's not willing to sacrifice for Jesus. In other words, he knows the truth. He knows how he actually feels. And yet he's grieved because he, he, Jesus is still challenging him and pushing him on it. And finally, it's like once again in the movies, this thing clicks in Peter's mind And he realizes, wait, this is the third time. What else did I do three times? Jesus is giving me another shot. He's giving me another chance. And Peter says, yes, Lord. I agape you. And he gets it right. So Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. And in verse 18, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. In other words, Peter, I'm telling you that you will sacrifice for me. You will sacrifice for me. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this, he sa- after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus has done a complete reversal. He's played everything in rewind. He started with the denial and goes right back to that last conversation with Peter where he said, hey, you can't follow me. And now he's saying, follow me. He's reinstating the call that he's given to Peter. He's reinforcing it. He's rebuilding it. He's telling Peter, listen, you haven't lost anything. You're still a part of this, and I still want you to be a part of this. 
So he says, feed my sheep, take care of my people, love each other. And I, and I want you to see this. Do me a favor and turn to Luke, just one, one book before, Luke 22. I want you to see this moment. Luke 22 records the exact night, that last supper, that last night of Jesus' life, and it records it slightly different. And in Luke 22, verse 31, Jesus says something slightly different to Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Two things I want you to notice here. The first thing is that Jesus prays for his disciples. But the second thing I want you to notice is Jesus, knowing us knowing who Jesus is, right? Jesus, Son of God, Jesus... One a part of the Trinity, Jesus, the guy who, if he had wanted to, could have easily come down from the cross at any moment in time. Jesus, the man who fed five or 10,000 people with, with five loaves of bread and two fish, right? Jesus, the man who, who made lame people walk. Jesus, the man who's capable of anything that he would want to do, prays not that, that Peter would have the strength to resist denying him, but instead accepts that Peter's going to deny him and prays that his faith would endure it. Jesus is fully capable of making sure that Peter doesn't deny him. But the thing he prays for is that Peter's faith would endure. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. The message doesn't change throughout all of this. Peter, you're going to fail. It's okay. You're not going to lose anything. And when you have turned back, when you've come back, tend my sheep, strengthen your brothers, love my people. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. And then he demonstrates that to Peter. Using Peter's own mistakes that Jesus saw coming, he then demonstrates that love to Peter by saying, Listen, you guys are going to mess up. Love each other anyway. And I'm praying that your faith would endure everything that's going to come. And yes, you'll be able to follow me. And yes, you won't lose your calling. But you must love each other as I have loved you. And everything finally clicks for Peter in John 21 when, when, when Jesus asked that question the third time. Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you know do you know that Jesus prays for you? This is not something new that I'm about to tell you. It might be new to you, but this is something we've been teaching for, for almost all of church history. But I want you to think about this. If, if, if Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our high priest in heaven, right? So Jesus dies for us, he's raised again, and he's in heaven, acting in the sanctuary as, as our high priest. What did the high priest do in the Old Testament but represent his people to God. 
Jesus is our intermediary or our intercessor between us and God. He is constantly praying on our behalf. But he's not praying that you won't have any suffering. He's not praying that you won't have any hardship. Instead, he's praying the same thing that he prayed for Peter. I'm praying that your faith will not fail. And he gives you the same message. He says, look, for a time, you're going to go through some hardship. But I'll tell you how the story ends. Just read Revelation. There is a hopeful ending coming. And I pray that your faith may not fail until that day comes. Amen. I'm telling you how the story ends. How those pages are written between now and then. That's between you and me. We get to do it together. But the one thing that I need you to know is that the most defining thing about our relationship... The one way that people will know that you have faith, that it has not failed, and that you are following me is by how you love one another. Not how well you know Revelation, not how well you know the beasts of Daniel, not how well you know how the statue breaks down in Daniel 2 in in, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, not by how well you keep the health message, not by how little or how much bacon you eat, not by how well you keep the Sabbath. Believe me, when compared to many different cultures, we are terrible at keeping the Sabbath. It's not by how well you do, it's by how well you love. And love is the hardest when people mess up. My call to you in my last message here is number one, the same call that Jesus gives to his disciples. Love one another as Jesus loves you. That means loving one another to talk with one another, to sit down and work whatever issues out that you might have with someone else. That means talking to them directly instead of going through a third party. Loving someone means being patient with them. Loving someone means celebrating with them, but also crying with them. Loving someone is one of the hardest things you can do, but it's also one of the most rewarding. And my challenge to you is that you would love one another. But my second challenge, and it's the prayer that I pray for you, it is that your faith may not fail. Amen. Because I want to be reunited with you again. Amen. So I'm going to be selfish <laughs> in asking that your faith don't, doesn't fail. If you do it for me, that's fine. I'll accept it. But I want you to do it for you, and I want you to do it for Jesus. See, the one thing I hope that I have preached in my two years here is, number one, there's a God in heaven who loves you no matter what you do. You can't get away from that. And number two, I hope that I've been able to preach what that love means for your life. Those are the two most important things. I could could spend years talking about 1844. I could spend years talking about all the distinctive doctrines that our denomination believes. But look, if we don't get the love thing right, and if we don't get the faith thing right, then all of that is just legalism. That's all it is. All of that is just pretending to get it right because you've missed the entire foundation of our faith. 
which is that Jesus loves you, died for you, and lives for you so that you may have life and have it abundantly. Without that, our faith is meaningless. And so I want you to know more than anything that there is a God who loves you and there's not a thing you can do to change it. And in those moments where you're angry with him or angry with his people, I pray that your faith will not fail. And that in those moments when you're angry with someone else, that Jesus would remind you of all the times that he's had to forgive you. Because the only way we can forgive someone else is by remembering just how much we have been forgiven. And every time I see a Christian fail to forgive or, or fail to love, I know absolutely without a doubt is because they are not in that moment grasping what Jesus has done for them. Because every single time I want to I just let out or let loose on someone, every time I want to be angry at someone, and then I remember suddenly like, wait, Jesus has forgiven me for much worse than what they've done to me. And then I go, darn it. <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> but I know I have to. Because those who are given much, to those who much is given, much is asked. But I pray that you don't, in, in all the, all the shakeup that's happening right now with me leaving and, and having to carry on, A, I'm fully confident you guys don't need me, but I pray that you would not miss this and that you would remember to love one another throughout all of it. The same way you've loved me for the last two years and given me a home. My mom can't thank you enough for that, and neither can I. And when you have turned again, in the moments where you fail, in the moments where you don't love, the moments where you are faithless and you're angry, then I pray that when you have turned again, you would turn to strengthen your brothers and your sisters. In a time where the world has seemingly never been more or so divided, I pray that this church would be even more united. United in our purpose, united in our mission, united in our worship, united in our faith. And I'm so excited to see what God has planned and what God is going to do in this community. No matter if you're moving away soon or if you're staying here forever, wherever you are called to be, I know that God is working in your life and I pray that you would allow him to continue. And I pray that you would show that love that you've received to those around you. And the final thing I want you to know when I'm struggling, when I'm hurting, and I, and I bring my prayer requests before the church or I bring my prayer request to a friend or a family member, it is always so encouraging to know they are praying for me. Right? Have you felt that before? You always feel encouraged when you know someone is praying for you. But I pray you would remember that Jesus is always praying for you. And in those moments when you're angry and discouraged, you have someone praying on your behalf. 
You are not walking this journey alone. Amen. Whether you want to or not. <laughs> God is with you every step of the way.